The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Older I get, maybe this is like a, an old man thing. Some of you help me out. If you're a little bit older than me or my age, have you found, maybe just me, that as you get older, you trust fewer people? Is that a thing or is that just in my broken life? So, so here's, here's the deal. Like I, I've met a lot of people. I've known a lot of people. I've worked in a lot of churches. And I just, I just don't trust people. Each year it's fewer and fewer. I used to trust pastors. Don't trust those guys anymore. Uh, even some of my heroes. Uh, and, and if I have to, I was thinking about it, if I had to rank how much I trust people, like on a scale of 1 to 10, I would say some of you guys are my friends. I trust you at maybe like 50%. Like 50%, I'd be like, yeah, they could blow it. They're one step away from stupid. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then like maybe my good friends, I might give you a bump. Maybe you'll be at like 55% trust. That's about it. And then, and then I've had the pleasure of knowing um, some amazing people. Um, some of my, I've gotten to sit down and have a milkshake with one of my pastor heroes, and I've gotten to hang out and talk to one of my other heroes of the faith that's still alive. But even them, even then, and these are like great, great guys that many of you know, John Piper and Francis Chan, they're like two of my big guys that it's, they're just up there for me. And I trust them at maybe like 42%. And I'll tell them, I'll be like, look, here's the deal. Uh, JP, my BFF, I'm not going to put you in my Hall of Fame until you die because I've seen too many pastors flame out. I, I trust my wife probably the, the most, I think. I would give her like a solid 82. 82. I, I trust myself a little bit less than that, 81. But, but today, in this passage we're looking at, in the end of Mark chapter 12, we're talking about trust and faith. We're talking about what it means to have the type of faith that puts it all in on God. Like moving all of the poker chips in, saying this is what 100% trust looks like. And for a person like me who has an, a massive well of trust issues, this was a hard week. But we're going to jump in because I, I think it's important for us. And, and some of you might, have, might read this passage today and think, well, this is like a money passage. This is not a money passage. This is a faith passage. So we're going to pray, then we're going to read and then we're going to unpack this thing for our souls. Father, we are about to open your word. Lord, I, I want you to be lifted up. I, I want our lives to be planted on you so that we can understand and get a glimpse of how and why and when you work and how it's all rooted in total dependent faith. Lord, I, I repent. I, I'm sorry for the times where I put my faith in other things. Lord, I want to lean on you. I want to lean on you so much that there's not an ounce of weight on my own feet. Lord, I want us to experience your power and the power that comes by having a life that has no foundation other than you to hold us up. No financial security foundation that would prop us up, no identity, nothing about our appearance or abilities, that it would all be about you and for you. So Lord, speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Jesus just got done arguing with different groups of people, and then he turns from arguing with the, the political people, he turns from arguing with the religious conservatives and the religious liberals, and then he turns and talks to the people who actually want to listen. And it said, 
in verse 35, Jesus taught in the temple. And he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? And the Holy, David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Now, if you're not uh, familiar with a lot of Jewish history, you might be reading this like, okay, Jesus just argued with people, and then he's telling the crowd, he's saying, look, the Christ who is to come is more than what they think. It's not just this guy who's a descendant of a descendant of a descendant of David. This person who is to come, the Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus talking about himself, is someone who is above David, who is above the government, above all of these things that the Jewish people had been doing on the earth. And it's important because Jesus is trying to tell them, look, this person that they're arguing with, it's right here. And, and I'm bigger than any of these people think. I'm more than whatever they think. And it's interesting to me, I don't know if you've ever had that case of mistaken identity or, or when you were talking to someone you didn't know who they were or even just like the casual version. And it's my least favorite thing to do and I do it all the time because I'm friendly. Someone will wave to me and I'll wave back to them with like all the exuberance of a kindergartner only to find out that they're waving to them behind me. You guys do that? And I used to like be all ashamed. People would be like, they'd wave and I'd be like, and me, hey. And then they'd be like, not you, them. And I used to be like, oh no, I'm so sorry. But now I just make it awkward for them. I figured they made it awkward for me, so I just go and hug them. Um, even if I don't know them, you just hug a person. And you'd be amazed if you hug a stranger enough times, how many cool conversations you can get out of that. Only try that if you're not scary looking, like if you have a beard, don't do that. That's creepy. If you drive a white van, no windows, don't do that. Super creepy. But if you're a six foot six goofy guy that drives a Jetta, you're probably in the clear, okay? Um, but, but here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus wants to tell the people all these arguments that have been had. They're arguing with the person who is the source of it all. They're arguing with someone who knows more than they know because I wrote everything that they've ever read. I, I once was um, walking around the church campus. It was the very first church I got saved at. And, and I, I wish that I, I could still bottle some of this. And I don't know what happened, but, man, I was tenacious early on. And I wanted to tell any person that walked by me in the street, you couldn't get past me without me trying to get in a conversation with you. And I think I've had some kids, and then I've been in ministry a long time. And this week I, I confessed to God. I said, Lord, I, I need to be like what I was when I started. Because there was this one time I was walking around the church and I saw this guy sitting against a palm tree. I said, Lord, I'm going to go share the gospel with him. Do you think that's a good idea? And I didn't hear anything, so I said, okay, that's a yes. And I went down and I sat down. Now, and this is in San Diego, California. And I said, hey, man, how's it going? And I just struck up the conversation. And this guy was like, hey, blah, 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 my name is Joey. I was like, cool, my name is Ryan. And I said, do you mind if I tell you about the good news of Jesus? He said, yeah, man, go ahead. So I just laid it out. And it was like a master class of sharing the gospel of Jesus. And then the guy stops me. After I'd shared the gospel, after I'd poured out my soul, shared my testimony, he goes, okay, man, let's stop. I just, I just, I need to tell you something. Um, I'm an evangelist. And maybe you don't know who I am because obviously you didn't recognize me. And I didn't because I didn't. And he goes, my name is, my name is Joey Baran. I was like, not ringing bells, bro. And he goes, California kid. I'm like, who's the California kid? And he goes, I won the, pipe, the master's pipeline in Oahu. I was a surfing champion of the world in 1984. And I was like, bro, born in 1981. I was just out of diapers when you won this thing. Okay? And, uh, 
And then we went on to share stories. This guy had, and I, I Googled him later. I mean, he's, he's traveled the world. He's led tens of thousands of people to Jesus. And here was this guy who was fresh into Christianity sharing the gospel with a mega evangelist. I mean, and I think he sinned by lying to me. That's my personal opinion. I didn't tell him that because I thought, like, there could be a job connection in the future or whatever. But it's this weird thing, like, I was talking to someone who's done this to tens and tens of thousands of people. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Herodians, the Sadducees were arguing with Jesus, and Jesus wants the crowds to know there's something powerful happening here that these religious and political people don't get. And there's something about having faith in, in the Christ, who is Jesus, that he wants to teach us now. So here's what he goes on to say, and he's just going to crack down. Verse 38, and in his teaching he said, beware the scribes. What's that word? Beware the scribes. Beware. You guys have those, I love it when they, people have the beware of dog sign in their front yard, and it's like a chihuahua. Have you seen those? People do this. I need to get a sign on my front door that says, beware my children. That would be appropriate. Beware. Be aware of this type of person that we're going to read about next. Be aware of them because they're not people outside of the church. They're people inside of the church. One of the tendencies we have as, as people inside of the church is that we talk about people outside of the church as if they have all the problems and we have all the perfection. That we're all good in here. But Jesus is talking about scribes. These are religious leaders inside their religious gatherings. Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the place, places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. Beware the religious people who make a show of religion. This is, uh, for me, very interesting because churches have traditions. And this very church, the very first church I got saved at, the one where I tried to lead a mega evangelist to Jesus outside of the church, we had these seats in, uh, on the stage. It was a big stage. I mean, we're talking like Oregon up to the wazoo. And the stage had all these chairs up front because this was a church where people sat in suits and as the whole service is going on, the pastoral team would sit on stage during the service. They would sit, and they had these, like, thrones, and they were all facing out. And the senior pastor's chair was just a little bit beefier. It had a little bit more of, like, a headboard look on it. And I remember um, always looking at that chair thinking, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit in that chair. I want to sit in that chair on a Sunday morning. I'm going to sit in that chair whenever I get a chance to sit in that chair. And I would constantly, every time I was in there with, with no one else in there, with just the youth group, I would go sit on the throne, the throne. And I'd, I'd uh, do this thing that the pastor did. He always licked his lips when he preached. Pastors always have quirks, and he always did this. He'd be preaching, and it wasn't like a, like I'm hungry lick. It was a, like I'm too chapped lick. So I'd always sit in his throne, and I would just be there. And, uh, and I learned something. You don't sit in the pastor's throne chair on a Sunday morning when he's coming up to his throne chair. 
This was a church where I was honorary. They had a they had a, a Catholic Bible in the front, and I was a very honorary young believer, and now I'm just an honorary middle-aged believer. Um, and I used to flip to the apocryphal books, which are the books not included in the, the Protestant Bible. I used to flip in them every week, and I'd write on a connection card, please replace Catholic Bible with Protestant Bible. Love yours truly. And I'd flip it over, and I'd flip it over. And, uh, and so they knew I was that guy, and I, I, was, I was in the, the throne chair on Sunday morning because I got there early. We were messing around. And I was sitting up there just licking my lips, pretending to preach the word of the Lord. And he came up with ushers, and I was ushered away. And then I came upon this verse, and I thought, that homeboy's going to be condemned. He wants that seat. But I wonder how many of us, you know, we don't have necessarily the seat of honor here. The only honored guest here is, is Jesus, and Jesus loves you, so I want to honor you in that. But we are addicted to being noticed and known. We are addicted to being noticed and known, and, and some of us know the ropes of Christianity enough to know, like, if we sing during this song, we're going to sing, like, right next to this person and just a little bit louder. If we close our eyes, we look holier. Some of us want to be known by our prayers in our small group. We all, every small group gets one gift of someone who can just pray for days. But then every once in a while I get into a small group, and it's not every group, you get the gift of the person who prays, and at the end of their prayer, you look at them and you think, what was that? And maybe you don't judge prayers, that's just me. Beware of scribes. Beware of people who use their places of authority to push others down. And then... Jesus is going to go right into it because we're talking about what you put your trust in and we got to finish the passage to bring it all to fruition. Verse 41, he sat down opposite the treasury. As he's saying, beware of all these people all around us, he goes and sits down right by the money box. It'd be like if I went back there during the offering and just watched you walk by. Just watching you walk by. I'd be like, is that it? No, I wouldn't do that. Maybe I would. Okay. He went down by the treasury and he was watching people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny, a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had all that she had to live on. Now, we're talking about trust and faith. Jesus argued with the, the people, and he said, I am the Christ who's bigger than David, bigger than your government, bigger than this temporal religion. I stand eternally over all these things, and I'm here. And then he says, I want you to listen to me. Beware the external showings. Those are not genuine trust. That is not genuine faith. And, and I think we kind of have put the word faith in a junk drawer. Let me, just, let me just show you what faith is, okay? Faith in the Old Testament is propping yourself up. This could go really bad. I could end up back in the hospital, but I just need to illustrate what faith is, okay? So I'm going to... Faith is propping yourself up on something and trusting it, okay? I have trust issues. I trust my friends this much. I trust you this much. I'm going to lean on you that much. Some of us trust God a little bit more, maybe 
A toe tap? Some of us are just going to jump right up onto God. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I just got done with surgery. Now, we all trust something. We're all leaning on something to give us our sense of identity. We're all leaning on something to give us our sense of security. We're all leaning on something to teach us how to manage and run our life. The scribes, or let's just put it into our context, the super-duper religious people leaned on their external appearance to others, what they looked like, what people thought of them. Did people listen to their prayers and think, wow, I wish I could pray like that? Did people look at their clothes and say, wow, they look amazing, they look holy? This little, this widow showed us what real faith is. Because there were rich people putting in large sums of money. And Jesus sees the widow put in one penny, and he says, that's it right there. And all week I just read it. That's it? That's it. Like, I know the Bible story because I've done this, but that's it? Like a penny? Because as a pastor, I'll tell you what, nowadays, it is, like, I listen to a lot of other churches and podcasts just to, like, keep my finger on the pulse of Christianity. It's crazy how churches can become obsessed with money. It's crazy how much churches can, can value people who give a certain amount. We, in, in churches that I've been at before, pastors know who the big givers are. In, in times of need and stress, they'll go to those big givers and they'll say, hey, you've given a lot in the past. I need you to, to help us out. And I've told you before, but if you're new, you don't know this. I don't look at who gives what here. Because my, my primary concern is not how much you give, but it's that you give your all. It's that you give your all like Jesus. And I feel like as a pastor, if I knew what, what people gave, I might be swayed. I mean, what if you gave, let's just say hypothetically, like 20 grand a week? And I knew that. And then you were being a bum to your wife. You'd be like, oh, wait, if I tell him to be kind, he might stop giving. And if he stops giving, well, not to be able to do this and this and that and pay the lights, do the bills, pay the mortgage. So I, I just told myself a long time ago, I'm, as a pastor, I'm just not going to look at what people give. That way, if they're acting like idiots, I could be like, you're an idiot. And if they say, well, you don't know how much I give, I'll be like, that's why you're an idiot. The widow put in the penny, but that was her all. It was the full trust. Let's see if I can do this. Catch me, Jesse. I'm not uncoordinated, Don. My goodness. She put her all. And if you want to see, if you want to experience the power of God, that's the faith that you have to have, propping you up. If you want to, to know what it means to fully live for God, in God, all around God, you have to not just toe-tap your trust in, you've got to lean on it like your life depends on it. You have to put in all that you have. Now, I don't want you to confuse me. I, I don't, I'm not meaning to say Put in all the money you have, although if God's saying, hey, put in all the money you have, then by all means, put in all the money you have. If God's saying, I want you to go move somewhere, to go love someone, serve someone, share the gospel with someone, that might be your all-in moment. Your all-in moment might just be baking a casserole for somebody and bringing it next door today. That might be your all-in moment today. 
but I need you to understand something because there's this hunger and this thirst that I've seen in Christianity, and, and it's not in everybody, but I pray that it is. And it began for me with my wild imagination. When I was very, very young, I had no imagination. My mom thought something was wrong with me mentally, so she took me to the doctor, and they talked about it, like, oh, he doesn't have an imagination. So they played these games with me, and they said, okay, let's find out if you have an imagination. And they would ask me silly questions, I guess. I don't remember this, but they'd be like, okay, I want you to pretend there's a butterfly flying in this office. And I was like, there's not. No, no, you're going to pretend, like use your brain to pretend that you see one. And I was like, why would anybody do that? It seems like a waste of a perfectly good brain cell. I didn't say that, but I, I, that's how I pictured it in my mind as a three-year-old, okay? And, and then all of a sudden something got turned on in my brain, and, and my imagination has just flown since then. And when I first, uh, I first got saved, I, I wanted to experience the power of God so much. I wanted to experience, I wanted to have the type of faith that Elijah had. Because James, the book of James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he told the sky to stop raining and it listened. I wanted to experience what these Bible stories taught us. I wanted to go find some bush in the middle of a desert that was on fire, but not from a teenager, from like the presence of God. I wanted to be like Elijah who could call down fire from heaven. Like, could you imagine could you imagine how exploded the Selman would be if only two of you could call down fire from heaven on your enemies, a.k.a. rush hour? I wanted this so bad, and I used to always be daydreaming uh, when I was in the front row listening to my very first pastor licking his lips. And I'd sit in the front row, and it had this massive skylight. It was, a, it was shaped like this, but the skylight went across the whole roof. And I used to always daydream, like, oh, man, as this service is going on, this big demon's going to just come crashing through this skylight. And it's like nine feet tall, kind of that bluish, grayish skin, horns coming out of it, red burning eyes. And he would bring out this sword of fire. And this pastor's, like, preaching on something like, and the love of Jesus is here for all of us. And I'm like, in my mind, and in my mind, in my mind, I'm always the guy where God's like, oh, the hour has come. Arise, my soldier. And God infused me with angelic power. I grew three feet that day, and I got a sword of light and all the shield and armor, and I was just beaming. This was my Sunday morning services. So teenagers, if you don't like me, do that, because it changed my life forever. And then I would just, all this whole visual thing, I'm sure the pastor just thought I was into it, because I'd be like, I'd have my Bible open like this, and I'd just be like, and I'd be watching this fight, and I'd be sick in my chest. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is me, yeah, yeah. And this pastor's like, yo, way to go, big guy, got it going. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because in my mind, I'm just slaying this demon. And, and then I'd go home, and I'd pray, and I'd read the Bible. and say, God, why doesn't this stuff happen to me? Why doesn't this stuff happen to me? I believe in you. I have faith like you tell me to have faith. But this isn't happening to me. Lord, you say that I'm a man like Elijah, and Elijah could do these things with your power. I want your power. And then God whispered something, you don't have my, you don't have the trust that Elijah had. You don't have the faith that Elijah had. You're not anywhere near where Elijah's at. I said, what do you mean? Lord, I slay a demon every Sunday in my braniums. <laughs> then you, if you think about it, it's funny. See, I went back and I thought about where I was at, you know, Carlsbad, California, really roughing it up, you know. Ten minutes from the beach, best Mexican food in the world. It's like a 75 to 80 all the time. Humidity, I didn't even know what it was till I moved here, and then humidity punched me in the soul. It's just, you just walk around. You can wear hoodies or not. 
You wear shoes, but only when required. And I'm in the front row of this big, beautiful, multi-multi-million dollar church with a balcony and an organ that costs more than my house. There's a throne on there. I don't even know what that's about. There's choirs that are just enormous, 100-person choirs just singing songs. And I'm like, Lord, why can't I be like Elijah? Why can't you give me the power to call down fire from heaven? Why can't you give me an experience like Moses? I want to see the burning bush. Why can't you at least, at least, God, give me a glimpse like Elisha and, and the servant when they were in this little encampment and the servant was freaking out because this army had gone all around them. And the servant says to the prophet Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, says, we're going to die. And Elisha says, dear boy, Lord, open his eyes. And the servant's eyes open, and he sees the angel armies of God surrounding their enemy on the mountaintop. I've just prayed for that. Like, Lord, let me just see. Let me, I just want to see. Like, let me just see one angel so I can cower down and how amazing they are and get a better understanding of how massive you are. And then God began to reveal to me slowly and graciously, Ryan, you don't trust me like they trusted me. What do you mean, Lord? I'm all in. I'm all in. You want to know why Elijah could call down fire from heaven? He lived on the mission of God and the purposes of God, and he was surrounded by 450 prophets, priests of another religion, who if he lost, they were going to chop off his head. I'm complaining about not having the power of God, sitting on a pew in Carlsbad, California, daydreaming about demons, not even listening to the sermon. Lord, why isn't this stuff happening in my life? You say it's happening in your word. Oh, because I wasn't living on your mission. I was living on my mission. I was living comfortably and safe. There's no person in the Bible who's lifted up for playing it safe. There's no person in the Bible who has these amazing things happen to them. Daniel got to go in a cave with hungry lions, and they didn't eat him. And we teach kids, hey, kids, God's going to be with you. He's going to make sure those bad things don't eat you. Yeah, if you live for God in such a way that somebody throws you in a cave. How many of you want to get thrown in a cave? I mean, I've seen some of you when you, like, have to refire your house and it's the end of the world. What does that type of faith look like where all that you have to prop up your life on is God and his power? I've wanted it so bad. I've wanted it this week so bad. In Acts 1-8, Jesus said, you, me and you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If you want to have faith that shakes the gates of hell. If you want to have faith that changes cities, faith that changes a marriage, if you want to have faith that changes you from the inside out, it's not just about a little prayer and saying, Lord, I have faith, Lord, I have faith. Jesus says, you want the power? You want the power? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you. And when I give it to you, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. The power of God when you place your faith in God, we'll send you out to do the things of God. I need us to think about this because it's so hard in our comfortable culture. And man, this is, this is me. This is not me preaching to you. This is me preaching to me, listen in on my conversation in my own head. Lord, am I willing to do whatever you tell me? 
Am I willing to grab my family and go anywhere in the world and live in any conditions that you command me and eat whatever food provisions you provide for me? Or am I too comfortable here with my Netflix and my Hulu? Am I too comfortable here with my two cars? Am I too comfortable here with my good schools because they have okay ratings? Do I think that these things are enough? For me, they're not enough. I think it's uh, the greatest danger in our Christianity is that we've created systems and places that we call churches where it's okay to do this with God. You lean on him this much. But most of your weight is standing on your own two feet, like the scribes. How do I look? Am I saying the right things? Am I doing the right things? The scribes knew the scriptures well, but they only leaned on God a little bit. How much are you leaning on God today? I need you to understand that, that there, there are reasons why I think we don't trust God. Um, there are reasons why I have trust issues. Uh, I can tell you many of them because life has conditioned us, right? So that it starts with the littlest things, like every parent in this room has done this thing. If you don't stop that on the count of three, you're going to be in mega trouble. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and nine tenths. And you, we just, dude, like we let our kids know, like, what I just said I don't actually mean. Or how about if you're like me, you ground your kids from screens and you realize you just punished yourself. Like, you're grounded from screens for the rest of the week. Three hours later, you're like, take my phone and leave my face. I just, I just taught them what I said I, di I didn't really mean. And, and it's all around us. It's from those little things to the serious things. Our culture's full of, of broken promises, broken covenants, people who can't keep their agreements, people who say on their wedding day, I vow to forever, I do, yes, I'll never, till death. And then it happens. It happened. It's painful. So it's this thing I'm trying now. I'm just trying to, like, be a man of my word to my children, especially. Just I just want to drive it home. Like, when I tell my kid, like, don't hit your sibling. Or I will take the door off of your room. I'm going to give you, like, oatmeal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Whatever it is, I'm going to commit to it. When my kids, when school starts, they're, they're becoming like tweenagery, and they just whine, oh, it's so early, it's so early. Nothing to say about summer when they pop up like a daisy way before anyway. The school time, oh, it's so early. I told myself this year, I already got this moved down. I'm going to tell my, my kid who struggles getting out of bed, um, I'm going to say, look, if you are grumpy toward me or your mother in the morning, for the rest of that week, I'm waking you up an hour early to, like, do lawn work in Florida in August, Okay. But then I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to wake him up every morning, air horn to the ear, boom, boom, rub to the eardrum, get outside, get outside. And he'll be like, Daddy, what? I'll say, because I'm a man of my word. I want to teach my kids what that looks like because I think we have too little of it in our culture. And I think the reason we don't put all of our trust on God is because we don't believe the promises of God. I, I really just flat out, that's it. Like, we don't believe that God is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do, and that we can lean on him and he won't crumple. 
Have you seen those guys that the, all the gym people make fun of, like the memes of skipping leg day? Have you seen those guys? So there's this gym theme, and I'm not a, I mean, obviously, like, you can tell I do go to the gym a lot, but in real, on the real, on the real, I don't do the gym a lot, okay? But I've seen these memes because, like, I, I have, I know people that go to the gym, um, and there's this meme, like, don't skip leg day, because there's these guys, they're just stacked on top, and it looks like they have this body of, like, a, just a cartoon character, it's massive, and they're just walking around on, like, two toothpicks, because they skipped leg day, Okay. They have calves like, like Olivia Newton-John from Greece with the body of Thor. It's just, it's just ridiculous looking. And, and this is, this is our, our faith problem, is that we don't believe that, that God's legs are strong enough to hold us up. We don't believe that the thing we're leaning on in God, we don't believe it enough to throw everything on it, to say, no matter what it is, I'm, to widow it, to say, I'm giving all I have to live on. Because, God, I trust you that much. I'm giving all of my dreams and desires for you, God, and you tell me what to do because I trust you that much. Do you trust God more than you trust yourself? God will be faithful to you and me. And I just need to read through some promises of Scripture do you know, therefore, this is Deuteronomy 7, 9, if you're taking notes, know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God will be faithful to a thousand generations, and we lean on him like this. God, I know you're faithful to a thousand generations, but I don't know if I can pay my water bill next month. God, I know you're faithful to a thousand generations, but my marriage, is this is not... I can't do it. It's not going to work out. I've got to stop trusting what you told me to do and trust what I want to do to make my life right. 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13 says this. This saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, with Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Here's an interesting verse talking about trust and faith. It, first off, it paints this, this promise for us. And this is something that you guys know if you know me. I love this. You're going to die. It's good news. And if it's not good news for you, just keep thinking about it and reading the scripture about it. Because right now, as far as I can tell, when I say you're going to die and it's good news, there were two people whose faces lit up. It was mine and his. And you can't even see his because he's got a beard. Like mine. Big beard. Luscious and full. And Asian. Timothy says this. Here's, you want to know something that's true that you can lean on? If, you're, if you died and put your life in Christ, you get to live with him forever. And if you endure, you're going to reign with him forever. Do you believe this promise? Do you lean on this promise that you get to live forever, that you're going to reign with him forever? Do you believe this promise? And this is the, the one that gets me. That even when we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he can't deny himself. God's promises are not terminating on you. His promises are an overflow of who he is. He says, here's who I am. I will provide for my people. I, I, I guard every bird on every branch in the world. I know when a single bird falls, there's not a bird that falls off of a branch outside of my care. And then we think, 
but are you going to protect me, God? Do you believe that promise? Do you believe that he will be faithful because it's who he is, it's what he does? Or do you just lean on it a little bit? I know you'll be faithful, but I'm going to control most of this, God. I'm going to control most of this. The widow gave all she had to live on. She said, money, food, security, shelter. God, it's, I'm giving this all on the line for you, and I trust that you'll provide for me. There are so many promises in Scripture that I think over and over and over again we just don't believe, which is scary for me to, to think that if I keep preaching the promises of God and, and we keep not leaning on them, but leaning on our own reputation, leaning on our own appearance, leaning on our own abilities, that it's in the end going to make us calloused to ever hear the voice and see the power of God. If you want to, to live in such faith that you see fire come down from the heavens, that you, that you pray and rain stops and you pray again and rain starts, that you get thrown into fire and you don't get burned, be someone who lives for God in such a way that it's all in. Because I can't imagine, I can't imagine that in a group this size there's not at least one person who already knows what God's calling you to do. And you've been stuffing it down. God said, you want to experience all that I am and all that I have to offer your life? Lean, jump on me, wrap your legs around me like you've got nothing to stand on. And we say, is this good enough? Is this good enough? Or if you're like a religious person, you don't even have to lean. You can just be around it and say, Lord, I'm around what you told me to be. God said, I, I don't care if you're around it. If you look like it, I want you to jump on it and throw everything you are into this, into me, to do what I've called you to do and to be what I've called you to be. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think one of the reasons why we don't believe the promises of God is because, um, one, maybe we don't know them. We just read the verses in the coffee mugs. Two, we just read the ones that sound nice so we can go home and feel good about ourselves. <laughs> like I did, it, I, I did it to you today. I read a nice verse that was followed by a, a tremendously hard verse, and I just stopped at the nice part. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Bling! Very next verse and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Wah, wah, wah. That's like a quick drop, right? God loves you to a thousand generations. You hate him, he's going to bop you in the face. Do you believe both sides of the promises of God? And it's not that he's doing this out of out of this, I, this desire to be, play robots with the world, to play dolls. He's saying, this is who I am. My love is so radical that if you turn away from me, I can't help. I can't help but to, to say, what are you doing? Why are you giving your life for such cheap things? We're all walking around with no strength in our legs because we're leaning on something else. God says, lean on me with all that you are. Believe that I am who I say that I am. That I will be faithful even when you blow it and you, ha you are faithless. Believe that, that I will be with you to a thousand generations and press into me and do what I tell you to do. Go be my witnesses in all the world. If you want to see the power of God through radical faith changing your life and the world around you, go where God calls you to go 
and have no fear. I think if we believed the promises of God, we'd be like that widow. We'd be less attached to things or reputation or, or accounts or, or the cars or the houses or the schools or whatever it is. We'd be less concerned with those things if we just believed some promises. So I'm, I'm just going to read a promise to you that I read all the time. I read it at funerals. I read it when I go and I sit in cemeteries to pray and journal. I, I need us to try to believe the promises of God so that we can have total, leaning, dependent faith on God that makes it so we can give so radically it shakes the, the cities up that we live in, so that we can love so passionately and without fear that it makes our marriages just radically transformed by the grace of God. But I, I don't think that happens if we don't keep our eye on the big promises of God. And then we have to believe them. This is one um, that I read over and over and over and over again. I've thought about trying to get this, like, tattooed on my back, but I just think it would be a cheap knockoff of someone's idea, so I couldn't do it. Just close your eyes and, and listen. This is what we have to look forward to. This is why we don't have to fear. This is why we don't have to have anxiety. Because then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice out of heaven from the throne room saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will, will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are faithful and true. This is what we have to look forward to. The Holy Spirit of God is what we have in this moment right now. The widow took everything that this world tells her will give her a life. And she said, it's God's. That's all I want for us. It's for, that's all I want for just one of you today. To say, all that I have, if this is what I get, if if, if he's promised me this and he's always kept his word, he's been faithful to me and faithful to me and faithful to me, and I have no reason to doubt him. In Christianity, growing in Christianity, it's not this game of growing in knowledge. It's a game of you start by having enough faith that saves you, and you're like, I think I like this. This feels good, but it feels scary because it feels wobbly. It doesn't feel like my old foundation. But then once you come to realize that it's an oak and that it doesn't shake or move when the storms come, and over and over and over again you say, I'll, I'll lean on that. I'll lean on that. When you lean on those promises and you keep the big promises as a banner across your life, I think things will change. Houses will be sold. Families will go to their deaths on the mission field. Neighbors will be loved, even the neighbors that, that you would think are unlovable. People will be attending here that you would think should never or would never attend a church gathering because these promises of God for you 
and the power of God begins with having a faith that's leaning wholly on him. Now, if you want that, it literally starts with just confessing your sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful to you and me and just to cleanse us, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us from it all so that these promises are yours to hold and to camp on, to bank on, to stand on, to cling on. Lord, make it so in my life. Let's pray. Father, I, I just don't want to be someone who's safe. I don't want to be someone who's comfortable for the rest of my life. And then I stand before you in the, the new city and, and I see all of the, the movements that you asked me to put faith on, to lean on, and, and I turned away because I wanted to be comfortable. I turned away because I wanted to lean on promises of the American dream or promises of a retirement or promises of a, a marriage that's just okay. Lord, I don't want any of those things. I, I don't want the American dream. I don't want an okay marriage. I don't want kids who are halfway decent or who get good grades. Lord, I want you and all of you. Lord, take all of me. Lord, if there's anyone in this room, I pray that they would pray this with me. Send me where you want. Take from me what you want. Give me what you want. Do with my life what you want. And make it so that all I want is you. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said.